Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of February 10th, 2020. And if you are in the mood to watch players report to spring training, you are in luck. Pitchers and catchers report to Glendale, Arizona on Wednesday, February 12th, and some will report on the 13th. Even though most of the White Sox players have already been in Arizona preparing for the upcoming season, this podcast episode will kick off our 2020 season previews of the position groups and will begin with the Chicago White Sox starting pitchers. You also had some questions on your mind about the White Sox, which we'll tackle those later in the show, in P.O. Sox. But first, we need to discuss the impacts of the Mookie Betts trade, which finally came to conclusion Sunday evening, as a key division rival was involved, and they received starting pitching help. Joining me is, is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Last week, we discussed the possibility of bets being moved. Sure enough, it happened as Mookie Betts, as the Boston Red Sox send Mookie Betts and starting pitcher David Price, along with half of Price's salary, which is $46 million, to the Los Angeles Dodgers for Alex Verdugo, Jeter Downs, who most likely is the heir apparent to Dustin Pedroia at second base, and catcher Connor Wayne. And then the Minnesota Twins got involved. They sent Bruce Star Gratterall, the 83rd ranked prospect in MLB's top 100 list, outfielder Luke Rayleigh, and the 67th pick in the upcoming draft, which is a comp B pick, to the Dodgers for starting pitcher Kenta Maeda and $10 million. And wait, there's more, Jim. The Dodgers and Angels deal for Jock Peterson and Ross Stripling 
fell apart as Anaheim nixed that idea so the Dodgers have an extra outfielder they don't need in Peterson, which must be nice. There's a lot to digest here. Yeah, a little bit. At least it was all smooth. (laughs) The two trades. When everything finally settled, who do you think came out ahead? The Red Sox, Dodgers, or Twins? I would have to say the Dodgers because if uh, cash is really no no object when it comes to just their spending power, their franchise worth, their willingness to put it on the line to get a World Series. I mean, getting Mookie bets and really not, you know, like it didn't cost them Gavin Lux or uh, it didn't really uh, cost them, uh, you know, any players they needed. And if you're Verdugo, they weren't going to need him. Uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty great to be them right now. Yeah, I mean, they could take 10 of the $46 million they're going to get from Boston to help pay for David Price and just send that to... The Minnesota Twins, so the Twins can pay for Kenta Maeda. And the Dodgers, it's just amazing. They get not only Mookie Betts, second best player in Major League Baseball, in my opinion, behind Mike Trout. They get David Price to help shore up another veteran left-hander of their starting rotation. But somehow, out of all this, the Dodgers get more prospects, and they get another draft pick. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's just amazing. And they get and they still have $36 million to, to help pay for David Price. Like, they did really well. Yeah, it's like David Price, yeah, he, David Price takes the Rich Hill uh, spot on the roster, and you have, uh, you know, Maeda leaves, but, you know, that's, uh, they really haven't had much of a way to get him involved, and I think to Maeda's uh, unhappiness, uh, dissatisfaction with the club, that he wasn't able to get a regular rotation spot, so they had these extra pitchers that they've been able to deal, and then they get pitchers back, and, and you know, the, the deal with uh, Anaheim fell through, so it's like, you know, they, they just still have extra players. They have, it's amazing how much depth they have, and just how they can just shed these guys who are useful to other teams, you know, Jock Peterson, you know, obviously on, on our side as White Sox fans and people who follow White Sox that we heard his name a lot over the years as somebody who, uh, you know, the Dodgers should be able to deal for a team that needs him. And uh, with the Angels out, you know, they're a team that might have been able to use him, but you have a bunch of other outfield starved teams that uh, still might come knocking. So, I mean, like the Dodgers aren't done. No, they're not. I mean, Cleveland could be calling. Texas may look at Jack Peterson as someone that could replace the hole that they got left for Nomar Mazzara is I guess they're still trying to figure out right field because they were trying to get Nicholas Castellanos or Marcelo Zuna and came up empty. Uh, so the, the Rangers need another outfielder. I agree with you. The Dodgers will have teams calling them in the morning asking about the availability of Jack Peterson. We'll talk about Jack Peterson in a moment. But I want to get to on how this impacts the White Sox the most, and that's the Minnesota Twins getting a little bit stronger, adding starting pitcher Kenta Maeda. I think this is a good addition for them, Jim, mm-hmm. But because Maeda will help add a couple more wins, but I'm not sure if he's truly an impactful pitcher who changes the, the dynamic of the division, let's say. He, he makes them better, but he's not someone that White Sox fans should be all doom and gloom about the Twins acquiring. If the Twins acquired someone like Madison Bumgarner or Hinjin Ryu during the offseason, that that would have had a lot more impact than the Twins adding Kenta Maeda. Uh, what are your thoughts about the Twins adding Maeda and what this means for the White Sox' chances to compete in the American League Central during 2020? 
Uh, it's it's tough to really know how good Maeda is just because of the glut of starting pitching that the Dodgers had and how they didn't need him uh, to make, you know, 30 starts in the season. Part of it was, you know, I think uh, Maeda came to the club with, uh, I guess, a history of elbow issues, uh, didn't need surgery, but it was something to watch and and I guess maintain, and so part of it might have been that, but you know, aside from uh, his rookie season when he made 32 starts, made 25 starts, 20, 26, and he's been in that kind of sketchy use of the injured list that they, uh, <laughs> the, the league uh, shortened the injured list from uh, 15 days to 10, and now they're reversing at least for pitchers because teams like the Dodgers use the injured list to rotate guys in and out, so he, he's part of that. And so, you know, when you look at his workloads, he, you know, he threw 175 innings his first uh, year and then hasn't thrown more than 153 in any of the last three. Strikeout rates are good. Walk rates are good. Homer rates are, you know, kind of fluctuate based on the season. And uh, obviously he was not, uh, or he, he had plenty of company in having a, an elevated home run rate last year, but he has basically been a, an average pitcher with good peripherals who hasn't been allowed to pitch a full season. So I don't know if he's somebody who, uh, you know, might have some, you know, potential that he hasn't yet explored yet, or if it's going to be like a case like Jake Odorizzi, who uh, is very effective for like six innings at a time or five five innings, and then when he gets the third time through, they have to manage just how deep he gets in the games, and so his impact is useful over the course of a full season, but muted game to game. I could see it being that way, but, you know, when you look at the rotation, he helps, and when it comes to, you know, the kind of offense they have and just needing pitchers to turn calendar days over more than dominate uh i think he helps him in that regard now back to jock peterson because we love revisiting the right field situation for the chicago white Sox on this show jock peterson's there jim for anyone that wants to make a trade with the dodgers should the white Sox entertain the idea uh yeah i wouldn't mind seeing it just because his on base percentage would be very useful for the white Sox. uh you know more than yeah i, I think he and mazar are roughly the same when it comes to power and you know, peterson's got an average problem whereas mazara's you know i think his hit tool is a little bit better but just doesn't have the same quality of bats or the consistent quality of bats that peterson has at least against righties uh so it seems like uh, it would be an upgrade over mazara the and and Detectable, I think, depending on where you want to use him in the lineup. I think if you want a top half, Peterson's the guy. Um, but it, it seems like you know, when you look at uh, when the White Sox acquired him and, and the feedback at SoxFest and how eager coaches and various staffers are to work with Mazzara, uh, really seems like the White Sox think they can get to him and, and, and get the best out of him. And, you know, we can say that might be foolish. And I think, you know, the front office, you know, Rick Hahn and such, are trying to... Uh, kind of tamp down expectations and make sure that uh, fans don't start thinking of uh, Mazzara as the 35 home run guy who's going to uh, all of a sudden meet the uh, expectations he had when he was a prospect. But uh, it, it seems like uh, the White Sox coaching staff, at least, really wants to explore what Mazzara's changes, you know, the changes he made, uh, anything they might be able to tweak further and see what he looks like as an everyday player in a White Sox uniform. Yeah, Peterson did hit 36 home runs, and he said more than 25 home runs in three other seasons. I, yeah. I think he's got a little bit more power. I think he's got more proven in-game power. Yeah, I would say in-game power. Yeah, I would say they're probably comparably strong, but yes. yeah, I think uh, Peterson is just able to tap into it more frequently. I, I think Mazar's had bursts of it, and I think uh, 
uh, he showed some of it last year, although last year with the, with the silly ball, it's hard to tell, but, uh, you know, Mazar's had stretches, but yeah, if you're looking for a full season, uh, yeah, Peterson's your guy. I'm just going to go meatball here for a moment, Jim, and let's get crazy. Let's get the White Sox to trade for Jock Peterson. You could move Nomar Mazara, maybe back to Texas. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, go sign Yasiel Puig and have those guys platoon in right field for you. <laughs> well, I think with uh, you know with the Rangers, I think they were trying to get a right-handed bat because their entire outfield was left-handed, and so that's why I think they weren't uh, keen on keeping Mazara. But I think you know the, the biggest thing with Peterson is if he goes to the uh, Indians – that would be a godsend for them because they need outfielders and they can mm-hmm. use a, a lefty outfielder. And, and uh, yeah, just it's the kind of perfect fit for them. So I think if you're using it as like a blocking move and having two left-handed power outfielders in right field who need a platoon partner, it would be an awkward fit for the White Sox. But I think it would be useful in that uh, a team in the division can't get stronger. I would say that if the Indians do make that trade and they get Jack Peterson, Peterson to the Indians has more impact on the American League Central than Meira does to the going to the Twins. Yeah, I think that's fair just because the Indians outfield is atrocious. At least, you know, they project that way. Right. Mercado's pretty good, and that's about it. Yeah, and you know, Mercado defensively is excellent. Offensively, we'll see if he could be a little bit more consistent, and he's someone that the Indians could count on more that to help support Francisco Lindor, Jose Ramirez, and Carlos Santana. But you get Jack Peterson. Now the Indians have at least four very good hitters in their lineup. And that that could be a little problematic because Cleveland does have such a great starting rotation that they're going to be taking with them into the 2020 season. I feel like if Cleveland made that trade with the Dodgers for Jack Peterson, that would be more impactful to the White Sox chances of competing the American League Central than the Twins getting Kenta Maeda because Peterson does, as you mentioned, Jim, multiple times already, fills a gigantic hole that they have. They need another bat in that lineup. They need another outfielder to to sorely help out there because uh, it's kind of embarrassing when Cleveland right now is going to try to trot out there to start the season in the outfield. We did get one question about the whole Mookie Bats and all these teams being involved trade uh, from one of our Patreon supporters, Chef Eric. Chef Eric, thank you so much for your support. And they he asked, Jim, with, with the, about this trade, what would have been the White Sox equivalent if they were in the Dodgers' place or the Twins' place in this trade? So two, kind of two parts here. What would have been the White Sox equivalent to acquire Mookie Betts and David Price? Or the flip side, if they were the Twins' situation and they wanted to get Kenta Maeda or maybe even Jack Peterson? Well, I think uh, Gratterall is the, uh, I guess, easier one to make a clean comparison with. I think he's Zach Birdie before the uh, before the Tommy John surgery. Same kind of profile, like just a, a big fastball slider type, late inning mold. But uh, you know, with Birdie, even before his Tommy John surgery, he didn't pitch on back to back days, or at least when he a couple times he did, he got roughed up. So. I think there were concerns about just how durable he would be. And I think, uh, you know, Gratterall kind of same, same thing. And that's why the Red Sox backed out of it comes to the Dodgers part. I would say Verdugo is along the lines of Madrigal or Vaughn, you know, top 50 prospect, top 30 prospect, depending on which, uh, which range you're using, but it seems like consensus top 50, top 40. And I think, uh, you know, when you look at prospect list, Madrigal and Vaughn kind of check in around 30 to 40, uh, 
I would say that's probably the average. Downs is the kind of uh, secondary prospect that the White Sox don't really have. Fangraphs gave him a future value of 50. The White Sox really don't have anybody in that range. Uh, at least you know, on Fangraphs updated 2019 list, they haven't had their 2020 list yet. But when you look at uh, Robert and Kopech and such, they're at 55. Vaughn is the only one at 50, but we just talked about him with the Verdugo uh, comp. And then after that, it's all 45 and below. So when you're looking at for for the secondary level of prospects, we've talked about that before. That's really, the White Sox don't have anybody in that range that can really help out as a secondary piece. Chef Eric, thank you so much for your question. And then, yeah, I mean, that's the big news right now as far as Major League Baseball is the Mookie Betts trade and the Minnesota Twins getting Kenta Maeda and the fact that the Dodgers-Angels trade was Knicks. I'm sure there'll be more activity upcoming this week and again we'll see what the Dodgers do ultimately with Peterson but I've got to imagine that there's multiple teams right now going to be calling the Los Angeles Dodgers about his availability especially again with pitchers and catchers and their teammates reporting to spring training it would be a very odd feeling Jim if Jock Peterson reported to Dodgers camp later this week uh, when thinking that he was going to be being shipped to Anaheim. Uh, again, the Dodgers and White Sox share a spring training facility. Uh, so maybe some of the White Sox beat reporters will get firsthand news when they're down there about what will be the future of Jock Peterson if he sticks with the Dodgers or he goes elsewhere. But we are going to take a quick break for our, a word from our sponsor. But coming up next, we begin our 2020 season position previews, starting with the Chicago White Sox starting pitchers. So we are getting snow again in Chicago. And I don't know about you, but I'm getting tired of winter. And you might be like me and thinking about heading to spring training to see the White Sox in action. And why wouldn't you? Arizona is always a great time. And if you're thinking about going or already planning on going, make sure your first stop is visit Arizona.com slash spring training. There you will learn about why Arizona is a one-of-a-kind spring training experience with all 10 stadiums within 50 miles of Phoenix. Check out amazing restaurants and bars nearby in each city. Scottsdale has a crazy good food scene and there are excellent breweries to check out after the game. Don't forget, there's also more to Arizona than just watching baseball. Explore Arizona's incredible landscapes and thrilling outdoor adventures. Check off must-see destinations like the Grand Canyon and Monument Valley. Arizona is also a fantastic destination to bring the family along. If you're thinking about taking the kids during spring break, Arizona has family-friendly resorts and hotels offering plenty of fun from water parks and horseback rides and other wildlife parks that the kids will surely enjoy. No better time to check out the new White Sox players than this spring and the best place to start your spring training adventure is visit Arizona.com slash spring training. Again, that's visit Arizona.com slash spring training. Lucas Giolito dominated most of the talk in 2019 when it came to the White Sox starting pitchers and for good reason. Giolito cut his ERA from 6.13 in 2018 to 3.41 in 2019. He finished 6th in the American League Cy Young voting and he went from 31% below league average starter to 34% than league average starter in 2019. It was quite the transformation. But the Chicago White Sox starting rotation in 2019 had a staff ERA of 5.3, which ranked 24th in Major League Baseball. They also ranked 24th in Major League Baseball in home runs allowed per nine innings. 
And they ranked 19th in the majors in starting pitcher war with a total of 9.6, which Giolito counted for more than half of. So for this franchise to make the turn from rebuilder to contender, Lucas Giolito needs help. General Manager Rick Khan found some in signing veteran starters, Dallas Keuchel and Gio Gonzalez. Both allowed Khan and Manager Rick Renteria to be a little bit more patient, bringing back Michael Kopech and reduce the pressure on Renato Lopez and Dylan Cease. But make no mistake, if the White Sox are going to be a dark horse contender in 2020, they will need Giolito to be like himself in 2019, and Keuchel, Gonzalez, Lopez, Cease, and Kopech need to perform well. What is the likelihood of that happening? Well, let's begin our 2020 position season previews with a deep dive into the White Sox starting pitchers as I'm rejoined by Jim Margulis on the show. And our preview format will share the 2020 50th percentile projections from Zips and Picota for what we have, uh, what made them successful in 2019 and that they need to carry over into 2020 and point out what didn't work for them in 2019 that they need to improve upon. And Jim, let's start with Lucas Giolito. As I mentioned, he had that huge year in 2019. For going into the season, he had very little expectations. It's going to be different going to 2020 for him. There's going to be a lot of expectations to see if he can prove that last year was not a fluke. His projections for 2020, Zips has him as a 14-9 starting pitcher with a win-loss record, 3.22 ERA, a 3.16 FIP. 235 strikeouts of 56 walks, and he'll be a four-war pitcher over 176 innings. Again, that's the 50th percentile projection from Zips. Moving over to Pakoda, they think he'll have a 3.71 ERA, a 4.14 FIP, 190 strikeouts of 71 walks, a two-war pitcher over 165 innings. So Zips likes Giolito in 2020 more than Pakoda does. But, Jim, what do you think Lucas Giolito does for an encore in 2020 after his very successful 2019 campaign? I think when you when you look at those two projections, I think one is uh, Zips definitely weights Giolito as a different pitcher, whereas Pakota seems like it kind of takes the two and averages them out and tries to be more conservative about it. And when you look at the way he went about his business and how consistent his success was, uh, it's... Yeah, I would lean towards the Zips proje- projection. Um, you know, maybe he uh, uh, you know doesn't quite reach the highs where he's uh, blanking the Twins and the Astros like he did last year, but it's possible. You know, I wouldn't put it past him. Um, but in order to, I think, have a a healthy um, respect for the challenge of being a major league pitcher and and not putting all of the stress of the rotation success on Giolito's shoulders, I think you know probably something. Uh, a long zips or maybe you know, maybe a little less like 3.3 3.4 era uh seems more in line what do you think yeah i want to side with zips over picota i think what you have mentioned when it comes to picota I, I think is right is that they're trying to balance the 2019 and 2018 seasons rather than taking the 2019 version of gilito and moving forward with that so i think from what we saw of the transformation Giolito and the adjustments that he's made, and even doing the deep dive on a couple of things we're going to talk about here as far as what he needs to carry over from 2019 and what he needs to approve upon from 2019. Looking at all the White Sox starting pitchers, Jim, 
it's kind of funny saying this because last year, a calendar year, we weren't saying this about Giolito, but he's the least flawed starting pitcher they have right now. Uh, as I say, I'm laughing because it's a total 180 from what we were talking about last year. We were discussing if he would be demoted to Charlotte if he started the season poorly. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I side more towards Zips when it comes to Giolito's projections. And we did have a fan poll that we'll get to in a moment. But if he's still a four or five war pitcher, I think that is plenty good enough for the Chicago White Sox. And I still think that total is going to lead the White Sox starting pitchers in 2020. So what worked for Giolito in 2019 that he needs to continue doing to be successful in 2020? I can start answering this question, Jim. I think for Giolito, what would be part of the success that he needs to bring or make sure that he has is his four-seam fastball. We talked about this a lot last year. Just comparing 2018 to 2019, in 2018, the average velocity on his four-seamer is 92.4 miles per hour. In 2019, it was almost two miles per hour faster at 94.2 as he made the armbar change in his throwing motion and the batting average against went from 274 in 2018 to 203 against in 2019 and the slugging percentage dropped dramatically hitters slugged 524 against Gilito's fastball in 2018 and they slugged 354 against his fastball in 2019 and he increased the whiff percentage by 12 percent from 14 percent in 2018 to 26 percent in 2019 so that two-mile-per-hour boost was a big difference for Giolito. And if he could find more velocity and, dare I say, add a couple more ticks to reach 95 miles per hour, I wonder if we would see even more success from his fastball in 2020, Jim. Yeah, the nice thing is I don't think it's necessary uh, when it comes to just how he pitched last year and the style that he used to pitch. Uh I think what was most impressive to me is that he had starts where he only needed two pitches, not because he only had two pitches, but he could just like throw fastballs and changeups, whether it was lefties, righties. I mean, he had the slider against righties too, and that, that really neutralized them. But sometimes you would just like wait for uh, the opposing lineup to tell him when to throw another uh, third pitch. And they just didn't make him. It was all high fastballs. They couldn't lay off of because he's really using his leverage well. And, uh, getting foul balls and pop-ups and setting up counts that, uh, and then he could put them away at the changeup. And that was just really uh, impressive. And we'll talk about guys who can't do that later on in the segment, but uh, Giolito showed, showed just like how cool it is when you have like more than one way to get guys out. And he had probably about three ways to get guys out. So uh, the fastball, I mean, you know, as you mentioned, the increased velocity and, and better command set everything up, but uh, when he set people up at the fastball, he had a couple ways to go about his business. One that was just very simple. Did you see anything when looking at his 2019 numbers again that you think that he needs to continue doing in order to achieve the same type of success in 2020? Uh, I mean, just basically do what he did. I think just the two bummers were the injuries he had, the the, the mild hamstring strain and then the lat strain that ended his season. And you know, the White Sox said it was mild and if they needed him to pitch, they probably he probably could have gutted through it, but there's no point in having him, you know, make an extra September start or two when he didn't need to. Uh, but that's really the only thing I see is just you know uh, those missed innings, and that's really the only thing that cost him some Cy Young votes, I think. Now, the flip side, what does Giolito need to improve upon from his 2019 season to be better in 2020? 
I think just the, the health I mentioned, and then also um, I'm hoping that even though James McCann was considered a, a very big part of his success, that the White Sox don't assign a personal catcher to him until they let him throw with Grandal a little bit and see if, uh, you know, that it's mostly Giolito and Grandal doesn't hurt him and maybe he helps with the lower strikes, like the, uh, especially the slider and changeup, you know, that I, I think McCann can catch Giolito's fastball just fine, but when it comes to the pitches lower in the zone, slider, changeup, even the curveball, which is now his fourth pitch, uh, having a guy like Grandal who's better at preserving the lower part of the zone, I think would help him. So uh, as much as the McC- McCann Giolito connection was touted, and as much as uh, you know, you, you want to credit with McCann with that, I just hope they don't limit themselves to having that pairing only. My only nitpick for Giolito and something maybe worth paying attention to at the early part of 2020 is how he performs in the first inning. That seemed to be the weak inning for him. As he as his ERA was 4.66, he allowed six home runs in the first inning more than any other inning that he pitched. Hitters were at their most successful against Giolito in the first inning, but they were hitting 239 with a 328 on-base percentage and slugging 440. That's not a very good <laughs> slash line. Uh, so that's just how good Giolito was. And even when you look at the T-top, I mean, the first time through and the second time, the second time through the order, Giolito, the slash line against him was 175 batting average with a 243 on base and slug 336. I mean, he just got better seeing the lineup a second time through. And even the third time through, hitters were only 247, 313 on base, slugging 440. Giolito was so good last year. Uh, maybe with health, he could find a way to continue to consistently go deeper into games. Cause if he could duplicate those numbers, Jim, I mean, 200 innings should be pretty easy for Giolito because he's having so many successful starts that he's getting into the seventh, maybe even the eighth inning for the white Sox, which some of these pitchers we're going to talk about in a moment. It'll help out Rick Renteria. If Giolito can go deeper into games and, one minor thing that I that I think is nitpicking is if he starts better at games, if he can get better in the first inning, uh, then it should be a smooth ride for him if he could duplicate what he did in 2019 in his starts. And that we haven't seen something like that since Chris Sale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, he had that one rough start against the Cubs where he gave up a bunch of walks in the grand slam and I think that probably uh, hurts his first number or first inning numbers a little bit but yeah when he I was looking at some other game logs to see just the uh the rough ones he had like the four homer start against the twins that was middle inning so I think uh if we're nitpicking that much then uh yeah it's uh it's pretty great right it Lucas Giolito was the toughest one to find something that he needed to approve upon from his 2019 season Going to 2020, there are other pitchers where it wasn't difficult to point out, and we'll get to that in a moment. But we did have a fan poll that we posted on Twitter, and the question was, how do you think Lucas Giolito will fare compared to 2019 as he had a 5.1 war season, according to fan graphs? And the question, the answers were, would he be better than 5 war? Would he be right at 5 war? Or would he be below 5 war? So, Jim, how do you feel about Giolito's final war total in 2020 and where do you think it could land i'm gonna say below but just like in the four to five range so i would say like 4.3 or something yeah we had 543 votes as we are recording this on the poll 38.7 percent of our followers say right at five war 37.9 percent below five war 
So they are right on the same page as you are, Jim. Right there between four and five war, which again is still great. And if he can be better than five war, again, we're, we're talking about him entering Chris Sale territory before the White Sox traded Sale to the Boston Red Sox, uh, which would be terrific as the White Sox could really use a frontline starter of that quality. So that's Lucas Giolito. Let's move on to a couple of the new faces that are joining the starting rotation, Dallas Keuchel and Gio Gonzalez. Now, Zips doesn't have a public projection yet for Dallas Keuchel, but Pakoda does, and Pakoda has Keuchel pegged for a 12-9 and win-loss record, ERA slightly below 4 at 3.91, a decent FIP at 4.28, striking out 147 batters over 172 innings, and a close-to-two-war season, he's at 1.8. That's his 50th percentile. Keuchel is the second big free agent signing uh, this offseason for the White Sox after Yasmani Grandal, and Rick Hahn signed him to help lead the rotation with Giolito. Do you think the 32-year-old veteran, Jim, after the signing and having the signing resonate and with him now reporting to spring training camp, do you think Keuchel has enough in the tank to be the White Sox number two starter? Yeah, I think number two in terms of, uh, I guess, responsibility and in terms of, you know, being able to pitch six innings plus start to start. I think he's got that. And I think when it comes to number two type performance, uh, like say ERA strikeouts, that kind of thing. Like if you're looking for like a 3.5 ERA strikeout inning, I think that's more Michael Kopech's role, but I think Keuchel's kind of keeping the seat warm for him when it comes to spot in the rotation, but it's more about getting the innings, uh, sparing the bullpen, um, having a better idea of um, just how to pitch in the majors and, 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 you know, having that kind of Cy Young credential when it comes to success and preparation, everything like that. The, the Braves uh, touted his uh, impact on other young starters and such. So I think uh, what he might lack in, I guess, or, or what he might, uh, have in store when it comes to his decline and maybe being, you know, not quite at his uh, previous highs will be offset by just, you know, being around to help when it comes to um, just innings and presence, I suppose, for lack of a better word. Yeah, if you're expecting Keuchel to be like his scion self, I don't think that version's coming back. Yeah. But if he does what Pakoda is suggesting that he will, 170 plus innings, with an ERA below four, I'm going to assume that he's keeping the White Sox in games much better than other veteran starting pitchers we've seen in recent years try to do for the White Sox. That, yeah, I think he can be the second best starter for the White Sox, maybe in the first half. My bold prediction later in the segment, I think somebody else will overtake Keuchel as becoming the second best starting pitcher for the White Sox. Uh, in the starting rotation. But if he can do that, then it's money well spent. And that's the type of production you're going to get now these days, signing starting pitchers at $18 million. Uh, again, it's I think it'd still be money well spent. So looking at Dallas Keuchel's 2019 season, again, he spent it with the Atlanta Braves last year. Is there anything that you see from his 2019 performance that you you want to continue for him in 2020 coming over to the White Sox gym? Well, uh, I guess not really uh, when it comes to anything specific that changed. Um, I think part of it was that he didn't have a normal spring training. He signed you know, well into the season and uh, was not in any camp. And so he had to knock some rust off and he had a little bit of a slow start, but then got up to speed. So 
I think uh, when you look at that, and his velocity is more or less the same. Um, you know, the one thing that was weird about him uh, is that he was throwing his cutter more. And when you look at the stat cast data, um, just how it was hit, it wasn't really a great pitch for him. I think, you know, sinker changeup is kind of the way to go for him. Uh, and, and slider's all right, but the cutter was a recent addition, uh, or at least, you know, it's been part of his arsenal, but uh, he threw it an unprecedented amount, like 20%, and it didn't seem to have great rewards for him. So I'm curious, you know, with him going to the White Sox and, you know, Don Cooper and obviously their uh, rich history with the cutter, whether that's something they'll encourage or whether, you know, they'll try to, you know, make it more of a simple Giolito-like approach where you go uh, with your best pitches and then see if you have to go to a third pitch when if they make them. Yeah, Keiko only throws the cutter against right-handers. I thought that was pretty interesting. He did not throw a cutter against a left-hander at all in 2019. One thing that I hope that he does carry with him, Jim, is his 80% ground ball rate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's 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 what I'm hoping that he brings along with him from Atlanta to Chicago is keeping the ball on the ground that would that would go a long way for the White Sox run prevention efforts okay so the flip side what are is there any one specific thing or there are a few items that you see from Keiko that you hope that he can approve upon from his 2019 season well you mentioned the uh, ground ball rates and then the flip side of that was his home runs uh, per fly ball rate I think 22 percent 23 percent of fly balls left the yard which is really um, kind of an astounding number, uh, even though, you know, his tend to be higher in general, just because, you know, those pitches are often mistakes and, and he's not supposed to get that kind of result. Um, so the fly balls, you know, very few of them were pop-ups. Most of them were hit well. And, uh, you know, it's hard to tell whether that was a rust thing, whether that was a, uh, 2019 baseball type thing, but that's something that probably won't be, um, you know, or that could probably be you know, if, if his season does go the wrong way. And if he is closer to like replacement level than he is like a three win pitcher that I think that would be the case, you know, bringing that uh, trend to the American league and to guaranteed rate field. But hopefully that was more a matter of um, things that were very specific to uh, his season and major league baseball season. What makes me a little bit concerned about Keiko going to 2020 is that, the third time through the order last year was not good. Hitters the third time facing Keuchel hit 314, had an on-base percentage close to 400 at 399, and they slugged 587. And where it got really bad was when he reached 76 pitches. Between 76 and 100 pitches in his starts, Keuchel hitters hit 320, 394, 608, against Keiko. They had an OPS plus of 154, meaning that Keiko is 54% worse than league average after his 75th pitch. And if the White Sox are hoping that giving Keiko $18 million, that this is someone that could help eat innings, I'm already putting this area of his starts for the 2020 as the danger zone, Jim. That after pitch 75, can he overcome his struggles that he had with Atlanta last year, because this is when trouble began for Keuchel. And will Rick Renteria be quick with the trigger if he gets into trouble in the fifth or sixth inning when he reaches this danger zone as far as the number of pitches that he's thrown where his stuff becomes less effective? Yeah, you know, go back to the Twins and getting 
Jake Odorizzi for the qualifying offer, which is about the same thing, you know, 18 million. Um, and the twins were willing to work with that, just like the Rays succeeded with that. So there is a template for teams, you know, doing well with limiting pitchers to twice through the order and only third time through if there's some margin for error. Or, um, you know, they just, at the bullpen's tax, maybe they try to go an extra inning, but when situation's right, when relievers are rested and uh, it's time to get him out of there, then yeah, this will test Rentry in a way that he hasn't really uh, been tested before. <laughs> His problem has been, uh, you know, having uh, uh, pitchers in there just to try to get, the mo- either he's been trying to develop them past certain humps, um, you know, trying to get them to pitch six innings on a regular basis and more and, and see what their limitations are. But in this case, you know, it wasn't unique necessarily to last season. He had that problem the season before as well. You know, it just might be a thing with a sinker slider guy to where like they just figure it out or the sinker doesn't have the power it did. And so, you know, it becomes a little bit more vulnerable and maybe that's where the cutter comes in to try to offset that, but didn't really work last year. So it, he's got some uh, interesting trends um, both, uh, you know, pitch wise and success wise to where it'll either pose a unique problem for, you know, the White Sox, you know, know, manager and pitching coach, or whether they think they can try to help him with what he's doing to last longer in the games. But, uh, yeah, when it comes probably by mid-May, I think we'll have a good idea of, uh, which way the White Sox should go with that. I mean, if he could make 30 plus starts in the season, he should reach 175 innings. I think still pretty easily. But if you're hoping that Dallas Keuchel is someone that could follow up Lucas Giolito, if Giolito throws seven innings and only allows one or two runs, I don't think Keuchel is that type of pitcher. I do think that Keuchel is signed to be a stabilizing force for the White Sox, someone that can make 30 to 33 starts in a year, go five to six innings, which that eats up 175 to 180 innings. And the reason that he's not going deeper into games is just not because of arm fatigue. It's just effectiveness. I this After pitch 75 in his starts, that's when I'm going to start really paying attention to how effective he still is uh, going from the National League back to the American League again and see if there's anything that Don Cooper can help make an adjustment for Dallas Keuchel uh, to continue to be effective up to pitch 100 because there's no doubt in my mind that Keuchel and the White Sox coaching staff would love for him to throw 100 pitches every single start. It's just that last 25, I'm worried that if things get out of hand and then he's handing the ball off to the bullpen gym in some really bad situations. Yeah, uh, it's going to be, uh, yeah, it's, I think with Zach Wheeler, you know, trying to think back to, you know, how the White Sox pursued pitchers. And I think Wheeler was the guy they wanted for the rotation altering uh Acquisition. I think with uh, Keuchel, as you mentioned, complimentary. Um, one thing too, we should mention left-handedness. Uh, I think helpful in this division because there, you know, there are some good uh, left-handed bats, and the division really doesn't have a whole lot of left-handed starters. So that gives the White Sox a different wrinkle. Um, and also, when you look at the park factors uh, for guaranteed right field, uh, for whatever reason, I'm guessing maybe wind patterns or. Uh, maybe is the quality competition, but I think probably more of the, just the way the ball travels. The ball travels really well to right field, so having a left-handed ground baller uh, does seem like a decent idea for the way the park's been playing the last couple of years. Well, we did have a fan poll for Dallas Keuchel. The poll question was, what would you consider to be a successful season for Dallas Keuchel? A 2-plus war season? A 3-plus war season? 
or a four-plus war season. My vote, Jim, if he gets two or above, I think that is a successful season for Dallas Keuchel and the Chicago White Sox. How about you? Where would you fit as far as in that range where you would set the bar and say, if Keuchel reaches this war, that's successful? I would say two for the amount of innings he's likely to throw, like 170, 180. I think, um, you know, we, we've seen it like with like a guy like Jeff Samarja who throws, a, you know, he has like a two-win season, but he throws 214 innings. So part of the success is just being able to last, you know, deeper into games than the average pitcher. But when it comes to start-to-start impact, I think if he can get uh, two and a half wins out of like a five and a half, six-inning profile, that means he did something pretty well. Yeah, they don't agree with us as far as our fans. 71.4% say that the bar is at three plus war for Dallas Keuchel. So if he doesn't reach three war, then it wasn't a successful season for Dallas Keuchel. I can kind of see that, you know, a little bit just because, you know, when you get to say if like it's rounding down to two, I would rather see him round up to three rather than round down to two by the end of the season. Um, Just because when you have... Like, say if he comes in at, like, 2.1 wins over 30 starts, it's hard to tell the difference between him and Ivan Nova, and Nova's a lot cheaper. So I understand uh, you know, why you want some separation, but I think with the innings he's likely to throw uh, and, and the kind of profile he has where he's not going to have amazing peripherals uh, that might also hurt him in the wins above replacement thing, I think uh, uh, trying to evaluate his season is going to be more of a feel thing than maybe a uh, wins above replacement to the decimal point thing. Then there is Gio Gonzalez. He is the second free agent signing the White Sox made. Picota has him at an 8-7 win-loss record. Picota thinks that Gonzalez will make 23 starts with a 4.22 ERA, a FIP at 4.81, and he'll throw 116 innings for the White Sox with 103 strikeouts. It's a one-year, $4.5 million deal that there's a club option next year for $7 million so the White Sox don't pick it up he'll get $500,000. So that's why it's being reported a one-year $5 million deal for Gonzalez because either way, if the White Sox don't pick it up, he's going to make $5 million in total. If they do pick it up, well, then all of a sudden it's like a two-year $11.5 million contract that Gonzalez had with the White Sox. For that second option, what does Gonzalez need to do in 2020, Jim, for the White Sox to give him that op- to pick up that option for him? for 2021 well you know when you look at his performance last year with milwaukee i mean there was nothing wrong with uh the innings he threw when he was able to throw them uh just well part of it was the really weird free agent climate uh to where he didn't find a deal to his liking until the yankees came calling with a minor league deal and then he opted out of that because they didn't have a major league spot for him and he ended up with the brewers but as a guy like who was successful as a starter with washington and and probably deserved better than he got um, it was hard for him to find a, a good opportunity until he just kind of had to make one for himself. Uh, then when he went to the Brewers, he missed a little bit of time with the shoulder issue, came back, pitched out of the bullpen a little bit, kind of did a, a bounce back and forth. And so I think with him to, uh, yeah, the, the quality of pitching wasn't, you know, was fine for him. Uh, I think it's more a matter of just availability and part of it was out of his control. But when he's back throwing every five days, the idea is that he just, he was able to keep doing that and the shoulder inflammation doesn't come back. So I think that's really the biggest obstacle. Um, uh, and, and 
the biggest way that the season is just more or less uh, inconsequential for the White Sox is if he just you know, makes uh, a few starts early in the season, then misses two months, Michael, Co- Michael Kopech comes in, and then he's just uh, more of an afterthought from that point on. And then what worked for Gonzalez in 2019 that we hope that he will continue doing in 2020? Gonzalez was really good between innings three and five, in which he only allowed one run in the third inning in his 18 starts for the Brewers. Uh, The fourth inning, hitters hit 197 against him, and the fifth inning, hitters only hit 188 against him, as Gonzalez had reverse T-top splits, very good a second time through the order. Hitters only hit 231 with a 320 on base percentage and slugged 408. And the third time through the order, hitters only hit 184, 225 on base percentage and slugged 289 against Gonzalez. So Gonzalez is opposite of Keuchel. Keuchel, you have to worry about after pitch 75. Gonzalez seemed to get stronger, deeper into his starts. I think the thing that's most curious to me is that his changeup usage has really shot through the roof. Uh, last year, he was his most used pitch out of his four. He's got a fastball, sinker, changeup, curveball. Before it was, uh, you know, fastball slash sinker. If you count them as one, then the curveball was his his signature pitch, and then the changeup kind of uh, was you know a well used third pitch uh, slash fourth pitch. Uh, you know, during his heyday with the Nationals, he threw it about 15 to 18 percent year after year, just a little bit behind his curveball. Last year, he threw his changeup 31 percent of the time, and uh, that's uh, that's new. And I'm not quite sure what that means. I mean, it was successful. That's why I kept throwing it. And with the White Sox, uh, you know, being changeup enthusiasts and encouraging pitchers to use their best uh, secondary pitch sometimes as primary pitches, if it's working for him, like we saw with uh, Giolito last year, that. Uh, that's something they might encourage, you know, just kind of having a sinker changeup approach, not really needing that curveball that was his signature when he was in his, when when he was with his uh, with Nationals and when he was in his twenties. So I think he's got a way to age uh, better than other pitchers as long as his shoulder holds up. The other thing too is uh, Yasmani Grandal helps that, you know, when you're throwing changeup and curveballs and and sinkers and trying to keep things low in the zone. And expanding the uh, bottom part of the zone, keeping it intact, you know, depending on whether he actually hits the hits the mitt in the zone. Um, either way, it's uh, easier to be successful when you have a catcher who can handle that stuff. And you know, having those those two team up again with the White Sox, I think, is a pretty good idea. And what does Gonzalez need to improve upon from 2019? It's going to be a common theme, folks. Have better starts to his appearances. He was not good in the first and second inning. Not good. That's where you got into trouble last year for the Brewers. In the first and second innings, he had a 5.82 ERA. In the second inning, hitters hit 314, slugged 400. I'm sorry, had an obvious percentage of 400 and slugged 457. Gonzalez just had a tough time getting started. Once he got through the first and second inning, then he was good. It's just, can he get through his danger zone of pitches, which is like the first 30 pitches in his start. So again, he's opposite of Keuchel. You're you're going to be concerned about Keuchel's last 25 pitches in his starts. Gonzalez, really worried about that first 30. And he's not the only starting pitcher for the White Sox this year that we're going to have that concern. We'll talk about another in a moment. But I think for Gio Gonzalez, in order for him to be successful, in order for him to be 
very beneficial for the White Sox to bring him on this type of veteran deal that we've seen the White Sox make in the past, like Miguel Gonzalez, for example, on a very similar deal, or bring in someone like Ivan Nova, or even having James Shields hang around uh, after they acquired him in 2016. If Gonzalez can have clean starts to his appearances, then I think that this could be a surprising uh advantageous signing for the White Sox in 2020, Jim? Yeah, I think I'll go with, you know, aside from health and, you know, and making sure the shoulder is okay for like more than a hundred innings. Um, I would say, and, and maybe these things are linked that his fastball has been just slowly trending downwards the way you would expect like a left-handed starter entering his mid thirties to uh, maybe experience like, you know, with the nationals late in his nationals career, 92 to 90.8 to 89.9 to 89.8 to last year 89.3 so it's you know now in eight high 80s pitch rather than low 90s and you know given that uh, his changeup gap is still there like you know he's maintained the same separation between his fastball and changeup in terms of velocity when it comes to uh you know the the changeup usage i guess he's become more of a crafty lefty than a standard issue a fastball curveball guy and maybe that's the way he's going to age gracefully but I wouldn't mind if he just kind of staved off uh, a further fastball velocity decline for at least one year we're going to be talking about Ronaldo Lopez Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech next after the break as we continue our Sox Machine 2020 season preview of the starting pitchers when your entire life is online you need more than just speed from your internet Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Let's continue the 2020 season preview of the White Sox starting pitchers. And next on our preview is Ronaldo Lopez. Ronaldo Lopez's 2020 projections are not pretty. Zips thinks that his win-loss record will be 10 and 12 with a 4.68 ERA with 156 strikeouts over 171 innings. Bakoda doesn't think Lopez is going to throw as many innings. Bakoda only has 109 innings as a projection for Lopez with a 7-6 win-loss record and a 4.52 ERA with 97 strikeouts. So Zips thinks more highly of Ronaldo Lopez, or at least thinks Lopez is going to be a starter throughout 2020. And Jim, we've seen Lopez make 73 starts with the Chicago White Sox since 2017. He has a career 4.65 ERA, so Zips' ERA spot on what he's done with the White Sox over 420 innings, and his ERA plus during those starts is 95. So he's been 5% worse than league average. Do we know for certain what kind of starting pitcher Lopez is, or are we still waiting, holding out for hope that there's more? Uh, I think we probably should act as if we know, or if the White Sox, if we're using we as the White Sox front office, uh, I would hope that the White Sox are acting like they know what he is and, and adjusting accordingly. I think right now when you have five starters and if he's the fifth, I, I, I guess if he's the fifth starter for now and maybe the sixth most projectable starter when Michael Kopech comes back, if you're also counting for agent experience, then that's fine. You know, you can do worse. I think 95 ERA plus 
over the course of uh, a full season is not bad for like a fourth, fifth starter. Uh, if it's an 85 like it was last year, that's pretty much replacement level. Um, you know, the innings are the only thing separating him from uh, being worse. You know, just his availability, his, his ability to throw more than 180 innings. There's some skill in that, but there isn't skill in leading the league in earned runs given up. So it's uh, it's tricky, just uh, a lot of not great. And so I think the White Sox, you know, there is, you know, we've seen them pitch better. So I think when it comes to past performance, uh, there is some reason to think that he's not as bad as he was last year. But also when you look at the underlying factors, there is a reason why he was as bad as he was in 2019. Was there anything that was positive in 2019 that you would like him to continue doing in 2020? Well, yeah, he had moments and the fastball is a, is a good pitch. You know, it's, uh, he has to throw it 60% of the time. So I think the, the fact that he was able to throw 184 innings while leaning on the fastball that much, you know, means the fastball is okay. So there's that. Yeah. For me, the big positive <laughs> taking a deep dive, he was good against Cleveland. If he can continue beating up Cleveland, that would help the White Sox. In 2019, at three starts, Lopez had a 1.99 ERA in 22 innings against the Cleveland Indians, only allowing six runs, five of them earned, and just one home run. And he had 19 strikeouts and six walks. So Ronaldo Lopez baffled the Cleveland Indians in his three starts last year. If he can do that again in 2020, that would help the White Sox efforts in competing in the American League Central. So let's go to a more loaded topic. What does Lopez need to approve upon from 2019 to finally get over the hump, Jim, and start becoming more the starting pitcher we hoped the White Sox were acquiring when they traded Adam Eaton to the Washington Nationals? I think the biggest problem with Lopez, you know, watching him over the last two years is that he doesn't really have a good secondary pitch. You know, he's had a... The slider's okay sometimes. The changeup, uh, I'd, I'd point you to uh, on Sox Machine. We uh, had a post in a guest post in the Shop Talk area from Edward who posted about how Lopez's changeup is pretty bad. Like, it gets hammered. And he throws it, you know, he keeps throwing it more uh, than his uh, the the data produced from that changeup suggests he could throw. And, and you know, the... Edward, he had some pretty compelling evidence that said, like, sometimes it has some good results. Like, it gets a lot of swings and misses in the zone more so than those other pitches. It's not so much a chase pitch. It's more of a deception pitch, and sometimes it gets good results in the zone. Uh, and so if he's looking for a second pitch to throw strikes with, he might like it for that reason. But when it comes to actually, um, you know, getting both swings and misses and uh, limiting damage when they do make contact, it's not that pitch. And so I think the slider and curveball, you know, I think his curveball is underrated a little bit, but, you know, if he can't throw strikes with it or if he's working behind the count, it's not a pitch he likes. Same thing with his slider. It's just he has one mode of attack where it's fastball, just kind of bullying hitters around with it and then uh, getting them against the ropes and then having them expand their zone and his other pitches. But when it's not working for him, when he doesn't have that, like, premium fastball command in life, then uh, his secondary pitches don't really scare anybody. Yeah, the secondary pitches in 2019, opposing hitters slugged 500 against his slider. He allowed 10 home runs, when in 2018, hitters slugged only 268 and didn't hit a home run against his slider. And the changeup, hitters slugged 652 against his changeup in 2019. So I'm with you, Jim. The secondary pitches for Ronaldo Lopez have to be better. 
have to be better in 2020 or his future as a starting pitcher for the White Sox is going to be really limited beyond the 2020 season. And maybe the White Sox have to move on. Either Lopez gets goes into the bullpen or they're going to have to move Lopez to another team. And they're going to have to find another starting pitcher elsewhere because I don't know how successful you could be in the major leagues today, Jim, on just relying on a fastball 60-plus percent of the time. Well, yeah, and you mentioned the bullpen, and that's one thing I'm, I'm concerned about if they try to move in the bullpen is what's his second pitch there. Right, right. You can't, you can't have a long career in the major leagues with just one pitch unless you're Mariano Rivera and you're throwing a cutter that no hitter can square up. Or Roldis Chapman, maybe, you know, back when he was uh, in Cincinnati, even then he's, you know, got a slider that just keeps people honest. But yeah, just, yeah, it's a good fastball. It's just, it's really sometimes, or at least a lot of time, his only thing that's working for him. And eventually he makes a mistake and uh, he has no other second look to give hitters and to get him off it. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, I would like to see something happen. And the curveball seems like when you look at Giolito and you look at Cease and the other guys who had curveballs of note they've kind of either it's maybe it's been the major league baseball that's been the issue that commanding the curveball uh has been troublesome or maybe it's the way umpires are calling it but they all seem to favor the slider more than the curveball and i think when lopez throws a good curveball it's better than his good slider or changeup but it seems to be the case that uh white Sox pitchers either they can't maybe it's the catchers too maybe that's the way uh, grandall helps is preserve some of those either chase pitches or uh, uh, just the pitches he's trying to get lower in the zone to get people off the high fastball. Maybe that's where Grandall helps. And I think uh, if Grandall doesn't help him, then maybe <laughs> I don't know what, uh, what can. That's a good point. So let's move over to Dylan Cease. His rookie season was a bumpy road. And because of that, his projections are still pretty modest for year two, which is going to be the first full major league season for Dylan Cease. Zips has him at an 8-9 win-loss record with a 4.48 ERA, 141 strikeouts, and 136.6 innings pitched for the upcoming season. For Picota, Picota has him at 7-6 win-loss record with a 4.75 ERA, pitching 103 innings with 104 strikeouts. Again, this is from the sample size of last year when Cease only made 14 starts. Hopefully, Cease can pitch more than 150 innings for the Chicago White Sox this year in the starting rotation. Now, the computers are not expecting a big breakout year from Cease in year two, even looking at the 99th percentile projection for Cease at Picota is not groundbreaking. What should be the expectations for Cease's full, first full season with the White Sox, Jim? I would say I would hope for like an ERA below 4.5 and... I think that's going to be the kind of ERA where it's going to be some dominating starts and some ugly ones just because of his propensity to give up huge innings. And, uh, you know, if, if we, uh, kind of segue into the, you know, things you like to see from him, I liked the resilience he showed last year. He had some really disastrous starts, uh, you know, to, to harp on your theme of, uh, awful first innings, you know, Cease was really rough in the early going and then settled in and somehow, you know, uh, maybe his in-inning resilience wasn't that great, but when he went to the dugout, was able to regroup, come back, and actually get through five. I like that from him because you could imagine other starters not being able to even get through three. Um, but yeah, that's uh, yeah. I think he's going to have some. He's going to have a lumpy season to where it's going to be uh, some some excellent starts and then some ones that uh, just 
uh, make you scratch your head a little bit. Yeah, after pitch 25, Cease was really good. And he was really good in the third to fifth innings of his starts. Third inning, 3.46 ERA. Fourth inning, 2.92. Fifth inning, 2.25. He landed nicely in his starts. He finished strong. What he needs to improve upon, his starts, to his starts, <laughs> just to continue this theme. He and Gio Gonzalez and just a little bit Lucas Giolito. First 25 pitches for Dylan Cease. Hitters against him slashed 397 with a 506 on base percentage and slugged 667. And Cease had a 16 strikeout to 12 walk ratio in his first 25 pitches as he had difficult time locating his fastball early in the games. He talked about that when we had the Sox Fest podcast episode that he felt like he was cutting his fastball away and that he's making some adjustments this offseason in his throwing motion to stop that from the fastball cutting out and up and away from the strike zone. If you remember last year, he missed a lot up and away against opposing hitters. And opposing hitters had an OPS plus of 211 against Cease in the first 25 pitches. So just like Gio Gonzalez, if Cease can have a better start in his appearances and he can get through the first 25 pitches and be more consistent in the first and second innings, this could be a pretty good year for Dylan Cease. Maybe an opportunity to break out if he can continue his success that he had last year, making the mid-game adjustments going to the third, to the fourth, to the fifth, and maybe we'll see more sixth inning and seventh inning appearances out of Dylan Cease in 2020, but he's got to have better starts because that first and second inning gem, uh, just dangerous territory at times for Dylan Cease, giving a big, big innings. Yeah, and, and uh, you mentioned uh, your your uh, you know what you heard at Sox Fest, both from Cease and Grendel. Uh, that that fastball, the way he missed, the unusual way he missed, like pulling his fastball up and away to right-handed hitters, usually with uh, you know pitchers they miss high arm side or low glove side based on the natural arm swing and release point, but see somehow missed high glove side and routinely like and and badly and just a way that most pitchers don't. And, and, you know, he mentioned uh, during Sox Fest to you and, and uh, that it was just something he was uh, cognizant of and the cutting pitches well didn't help uh, cutting motion to his pitches didn't help. Uh, it was unwanted cut. And so, uh, it seems like it's something with the way his, you know, either hand positioning when he's releasing the ball uh, that he needs to work on, but he's cognizant of it. Uh, Grandal is cognizant of it. Um, and hopefully with an off season of work and, you know, the White Sox embracing more, you know, edgertronic slow motion cameras and being able to focus on pitch modeling and shaping and everything like that, that hopefully this is something where you can, you watch him, and especially like in spring training, even if you're watching the WhiteSox.com web streams, to where you have some idea if something's changed based on where his fastball's going. If Specifically, if it's not going in that direction, I think he'll be in okay shape. Yeah, because again, as a reminder, curveballs and breaking pitches have a tough time in Arizona. They're not specific. They're not sharp during spring training. But the fastball command, I'm right with you, Jim. That's what I'm going to be paying attention to when he's on the mound during these spring training games, if he has better command of his fastball. Because if he can do that, I think that everything else will fall in line for Dylan Cease. And I think he can have a a good 2020 campaign. 
we did get we did have a couple more fan poll questions i just want to get through here uh our third fan poll the question was who will make more starts for the white Sox this season Gio Gonzalez or Michael Kopech? Who would you place a bet on having more starts for the White Sox in 2020, Jim? I would say Kopech. See, I would too, but we're, we are in the minority. 64% of our followers pick Gio Gonzalez. Our fourth poll question, who do you have more confidence in becoming a two-plus war pitcher in 2020? And this kind of goes back to Ronaldo Lopez and Dylan Cease. Uh, Ronaldo Lopez, Dylan Cease... Or do you think both will be two plus war starting pitchers in 2020? I would say cease. And our followers definitely agree with you. 61% went with Dylan Cease. Uh, 19% picked Ronaldo Lopez solo and 19% picked both of them to be two plus war. It'd be really nice if that 19% of folks were right. That both Cease and Lopez were two plus war pitchers in 2020. And then where I think this would be a good way to end our starting pitchers preview is our last poll. Which of these White Sox pitchers, when healthy, will be most likely demoted to the bullpen in 2020? Ronaldo Lopez, Dylan Cease, Michael Kopech, hmm. or Carlos Rodon? I would say I would, I would eliminate Cease and Kopech because I think they're going to be developed as starters. I would say probably Rodon because I think if he's in the majors and say if everybody's healthy, like if healthy, um, he would seem to offer the most out of the bullpen given his pitch mix, given his tendency towards being inefficient and also coming back from injury. It might be a way to ease him in the action while getting some really sorely needed strikeouts from the bullpen. So that seems to be the best fit. Like I would say Rodon would be the bullpen on purpose Lopez would be the bullpen because they just don't know what to do with him. And then with Michael Kopech, there's a wide range of projections for Kopech. Zips thinks that he'll make 20 starts with the White Sox and be a 1.3 war pitcher with a 4.41 ERA. Bakota thinks Kopech will make 16 starts, have a 5.88 ERA, and be worth negative 1.5 war in 2020. Bakota does not like Michael Kopech. Zips likes Michael Kopech a lot more than Pakoda does. What do you think the game plan is for Michael Kopech in 2020, Jim? And I think probably more important, do you think the White Sox already know what their game plan is for Kopech with this upcoming season? Well, I think they've tipped their hands during Sox Fest and especially after the Gio Gonzalez signing to where they have uh, five starters without Kopech. And I think that's what, you know, that's the smart way to do it. You know, you come a guy coming back from Tommy John surgery, also a guy who's, a rookie, you know, you just don't want to place every five days expectations on him when he hasn't faced a live actual competition in a year and a half. So, uh, you know, I'd want him starting the season in Charlotte or at least not wanting the White Sox to require him. Now, if he, you know, looks great in spring training, you know, and I don't think the White Sox will give him enough uh, time in spring training to really, you know, make him look like the best six inning option every five days towards the end of March. But, uh, you know, say if that happened, then sure, you know, put them in the majors. But assuming they're going to ease them back into action and maybe have them go one or two innings longer than the other starters and, and uh, just more or less use Charlotte as his uh, extended spring training, then I could see him being, you know, ready to go in late April, early May. And then at that point, it comes in the, <laughs> you have the, the service time kind of thing hanging over everything because, uh, 
know, the White Sox can't get the year of control they lost back if they keep them in uh, Charlotte, I think, uh, late May. It is, so there's that. But uh, I think if they're looking to contend, I think they're hoping that sh- that Kopech looks like he looked in, uh, you know, 20, uh, 2018. You know, that he has that kind of, uh, he's ready. We need to see him in Chicago now. I hope they... I think they want to see that in late April and then uh, just let his talent and results dictate how they handle him the rest of the year. And then we had some bold predictions from our Twitter followers. Jeff, his bold prediction is that Dylan Cease is going to have a breakout year like Lucas Giolito in 2019, maybe like John Danks from his 2007 to 2008 jump. He's predicting Cease to go 15-8, and eight, with a 3.43 ERA, making 32 starts and having 200 strikeouts. Jeff, I hope you are right. Uh, Bennett Carroll is predicting that Bernardo Flores will have a sub-4 ERA, I'm assuming down to the minors. Our good friend Billy O'K is predicting that a position player will pitch during a bad blowout game in August. And that position player's name? Nolan Arenado. That will never die. Thank you, random Twitter guy. And then the I think the boldest prediction for the White Sox starting pitchers comes from Michael. Uh, and Michael is predicting that Carlos Rodon will start the wild card game against the Oakland A's this season. I don't know if I got a bolder prediction than that <laughs> one from Michael. But Jim, do you have any bold predictions for the White Sox starting pitchers in 2020? I think my boldest sense is along the lines of Dylan Cease breakout. Um, just that he has the potential. He has the secondary pitch that like Reynaldo Lopez doesn't have. He has the fastball velocity and he has like the knowledge, awareness, curiosity that Giolito has in terms of wanting to understand uh, the, you know, what's working behind his pitches, what isn't working. He has a kind of curiosity that would make him want to be better than he's shown. Um, so I think if you add all that up and you have Grandal there as well, understanding what he's trying to do that, I think there, he can easily, you know, and it, yeah, it's not going to be a challenge for him to beat his expectations if he's actually good enough to start every five days, but I could see him, you know, posting a sub four uh, ERA, posting a three plus win season and being a big part of things uh, that I think that's my boldest one. I think when it comes to, uh, it's hard to have bold prediction material just because there's Kopech and then there's really nothing else in the minors aside from Bernardo Flores. And, you know, that's, he's a weird enough guy to where he can have success. Uh, uh, you know, just the, the kitchen sink approach he has, I can see that working for him for a little bit, but yeah, the Jimmy Lambert, uh, tier kind of dried up Dane Dunning. Yeah. Maybe the bold prediction would be Dane Dunning making start in September for the White Hmm. Sox. Uh, maybe that's the way I would go with the high minors guys. But I think if you're looking for, Guys who are actually going to pitch with the White Sox, uh, and I would say Cease is my best bet to overachieve. I'm still bullish on Michael Kopech. My bold prediction, Kopech will have the second highest war for White Sox starters in 2020. I'm, I'm very confident in Michael Kopech going to the 2020 season. So despite starting the year in Charlotte and maybe missing the first month of the season and coming up in May... I think Kopech will will have the second highest war for White Sox starters in 2020. And I hope that's because of his pitching ability and not injuries devastating the White Sox starting pitching staff. That's a good that's a good uh, uh, caveat to put in because otherwise, yeah, he could 
have a 1.2 and s- somehow lap the field. I'd still be right, though. Yep. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be right, but yeah, I, I would. my prediction would have been right. But anyway, so that concludes the season preview of the Chicago White Sox starting pitchers. Again, they are reporting to Glendale later this week as pitchers and catchers report, and that finally kicks off spring training. Next week, we will preview the White Sox bullpen on the podcast. But coming up next, it's time for your questions in P.O. Sox. Thinking about sprucing up your yard this spring but not sure where to start? The answer is as simple as picking the right plants. Proven winners color choice shrubs. Look for them in the white containers at your local garden center. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter by following us at Sox Machine or helping support the site and show by becoming a friend at patreon.com slash machine. And Jim is here to answer your guys' questions. And our first question comes from As in Rec. And the White Sox are rumored to make a big splash in the international signings for July 2nd. And As in Rec is asking, Jim, how does the Norhe Vera signing affect the chances of the White Sox signing Oscar Colas? If this requires trading for additional slot money, which teams do you see open to giving the White Sox that slot money, and what price would they require? Yeah, if, if you missed it, uh, the White Sox are in agreement, it sounds like, in multiple sources reporting that uh, the White Sox are in agreement with uh, Norhe uh, Vera. He's a right-handed pitcher, 19-year-old uh, Cuban. Um, he's going to sign July 2nd, but uh, it's going to for $1.5 million, They have a dollar value. They have a signing date so it's basically you know locked in and if he signs for 1.5 million and the white Sox have around 5 million give or take then that leaves about like 3.5 to 4 million if they have no commitments and you know given the white Sox and their uh the way they signed uh yolbert sanchez and and everybody else was a uh, uh, relatively minor signing they might not have much in the way of commitments to maybe where they can sign uh coloss for 3.5 million and still have their other plans intact um you know if they have to add dollar value i think um yeah the the orioles are usually like the team that gives it up i mean it's been the white Sox and orioles and now the white Sox are adding then that just leaves baltimore but with the way the the international market works and especially uh with the way reporting usually goes when it comes to teams tied to players like yeah maybe setting aside like uh, the japanese market and and uh, shohei atani because that was just like kind of a wide open mystery markets where everybody is just trying to ramp up and nobody knew exactly where he was going to sign. But when it comes to like the uh, players coming from the Caribbean, it usually seems like there are maybe like one or two front runners and there isn't much deviation from them. So I imagine if the White Sox can get in position where Colossus wants to sign with them, uh, there will be some team that will give up some money. I don't think it'll be like an open uh, bidding war for him so much as it will be just uh, Colossus making his mind and it's going to be a matter of the White Sox giving them a certain dollar amount, just matters of how they get it or who gives it to them, and, and there won't be anything to change his mind. So that's going to be my, yeah, assuming, I think uh, right now with Coloss, the White Sox are tied to him, but it just we haven't seen like a Ben Badler type report where you, you look over the entire landscape of Cuban players and assign teams to them. It's more 
the White Sox were brought up because they signed Vera and Kylie McDaniel of ESPN said the White Sox were also looking at Klaas. We don't know if there are any uh, other competitors, but should it be the case where the White Sox are Klaas's preferred destination? It's probably more a matter of the White Sox just getting the money somehow, not uh, like feverishly trying to acquire money to have more money than another team that's also gunning for him. So that's that's my guess of the way it will go if indeed Klaas does end up with the White Sox. All I have to say is get that money and get those deals in now because after the next CBA, the international draft is coming because announcing these types of signings are technically illegal. <laughs> They're not supposed to happen until July 2nd, and it is February. We still got a wasted way to go. Yeah. Yeah, Cuba is always a bit different, and I think in this case he was supposed to sign. He was supposed to be eligible last signing period, but uh, Trump administration uh, changed some of the, uh, you know, like the way uh, the relations between uh, Cuba and the United States, they kind of got warmer at the end of the Obama administration. Trump overturned it, so they uh, his ability to get into, you know, get stateside into the major league uh, uh Signing eligibility was held up, and so he wasn't eligible then. So, but yeah, Cubans are always a little bit different from the rest of the field, especially when they're you know 19 or in, in the case of Houston, uh, signed a 22 year old. So it's always a bit different. Yes, still illegal and against the rules. Yes. If the signing did actually happen, but I'm sure the White Sox would say, Yes, we are very interested, but the signing is not official yet. Yeah, until July yep. 2nd. Can't comment. <laughs> yeah. Can't yeah. comment on it. Uh, but there you go, as in rec. Uh, our next question comes from Mark Sambor. And Mark is asking, besides the promotion of Frank Menachino, the White Sox made wholesale changes to their AAA coaching staff. Any specific insight or details as to what prompted the changes and opinions on the new staff members for the Charlotte Knights? Well, I think Zaleski, Matt Zaleski, the pitching coach, he's somebody the White Sox value and want to keep promoting slash rewarding. Uh, they like the work that he's done with uh, Winston-Salem, and he's been somebody who's, uh, you know, Winston-Salem, Birmingham. Uh, he's been, I guess, uh, he was big reason why Alec Hansen got good, and he wasn't able to help him get good again after he had the uh, forearm issues, but like Jonathan Stever, uh, he's point yeah, and Jimmy Lambert, you know, they've been guys who have pointed to things that Zaleski has helped install. And so, uh, you know, Everett Tiford, he's kind of worked, uh, he's been Everett Everett Tiford's been credited as the data guy and, and somebody who's been able to explain analytics well, but I think Zaleski's very valued in his term, uh, in his ability to help implement the changes that, um, back up what the data is telling pitchers they should do. And so he's just being kind of run up the chain and, and uh, being rewarded for that. Elsewhere, it seems more along the lines of, um, you know, stop gaps like Wes Helms taking over from Gridzlonic and probably didn't think uh, Gridzlonic in any future in the organization. And he's free to pursue other opportunities. Helms is from the Charlotte area. So uh, they had Helms in the coach role last year uh, with Birmingham. And so maybe they like what he has to offer. And I think uh, Helms is probably agreeable to, having a job where he grew up and where he's from. So it probably works out well for both of them. Howie Clark is the new hitting coach taking over from Menachino. And he's somebody who was the assistant hitting coach at Baltimore. And he overlapped in Baltimore system with Scott Coolbaugh, who is now the assistant hitting coach for the White Sox. So maybe they had some uh, organizational wide thing they liked uh, and are, you know, wanting to implement, or maybe just, uh, uh, just a general generic 
AAA coaching hire. But in this case, I think Zaleski is the one guy worth paying attention to in terms of plans for the organization and the others are more or less stopgaps. Mark, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Doug Wirtz and Doug is asking, is it my imagination or did the White Sox change their minor league philosophy big time this year? Hopefully for the better, at least for the position players. I would say it's not your imagination, but it's also not big time. I think it's just more that it's growing. It's been uh, trending that way and it's not stopping. Chris Getz, I think, has, you know, when he took over as the uh, director of player development, he was trying to, you know, bring a more modern approach, you know, shifting from the Buddy Bell era to where, you know, there's more of a, you know, data centric or data first approach, however you want to put it. And they've kind of dipped their toe into it and then uh, have gradually increased, like mentioning Everett Tiford. He was kind of the big pitching guy. And the reason why the White Sox pitchers are a little bit, or I would say a lot ahead of uh, White Sox hitters. Um, but I think, uh, you know, the Matt Lyle hiring and subsequent uh, uh, firing, or if you want to say dismissal, not renewing the contract, however you want to put it, uh, that could have been like a crossroads of sorts. Like the White Sox tried, they did it poorly, they bailed. But in this case, they rewarded Ryan Johansson, who was the other hitting analytics guy. And they brought in a lot of analytics types along with it. Uh, uh, Nate Pearson, who is also from Johansson's hitting uh, hitting center in uh, suburban Chicago. Devin DeYoung, who's also kind of a suburban Chicago guy, or a Chicago land guy, I should say. Um, yeah, and they've had some data types. Yeah, ben Hansen uh, with the modus sleeve and such, you know, bring in more analytics types uh, and information types. And I'm wondering, you know, if that's kind of uh, in response to, you know, the various White Sox uh, collegiate draft picks, especially guys in the SEC who are saying that they were, uh, you know, maybe they said they, they didn't necessarily say that they were unimpressed with the amount of information they're given in the minors, but just basically said that the they were used to working with more information in college than they got in the pros. And maybe that's the White Sox were naturally going that way already, or maybe that's in response to that, but they are ramping up their information game. And it does seem like they have a better idea of what they're doing with hitters, or at least the kind of people they want to deliver instruction to hitters and, and the hitting, hitting coordinator guy, uh, you know, the, the Matt Lyle role role has been uh, shifted over to Ben Broussard, who is maybe like the Everett Tiford has previous major league experience, but also has a good idea of how to, convey concepts and information to coaches and hitters without being just some random numbers guy or at least some internet guy he's uh, actually been there and done that and they like the way that he does it but it does seem uh different and maybe more pronounced this year but it seems like the white Sox were trying to get into it without making the wrong decisions going in like you know, you know maybe doing this whole uh wholesale change and then realizing they did it wrong and having to redo it over again. They, I think they, they took minor steps and maybe they feel more confident now to where they're not uh, hiding it so much or maybe bringing it to the forefront and not afraid to talk about it as much. Well, Doug, thank you so much for your question. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week for PO Sox. If you have a question or topic that you would like us to tackle in a future episode of the Sox Machine Podcast, Again, you can help support us on patreon.com slash socks machine. We are approaching 400 supporters, uh, which is awesome. Thank you guys so much for your yes. support. The next supporter will be number 400. That's awesome. Which is incredible. That is incredible. Again, you guys are getting extra content. Jim had prospect week. 
which released the top nine and a half prospects for the Chicago White Sox. Because it, well, now it's 10. Well, that's illegal. We just talked about this, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Not illegal for me. Uh, I'm in international waters. <laughs> so now the top 10 White Sox prospects, which if you want to check that out, again, you get that extra content on patreon.com slash Sox Machine. On Friday, it is the opening day for college baseball. I will then kick off the 2020 Major League Baseball Draft coverage for a Sox machine, which I have that post uh, 95% done. It'll be ready for you guys Friday morning. So you are going to be prepared for the 2020 Major League Baseball draft coverage. And on Mondays, I will be doing recaps of the weekend uh, for the top prospects for the upcoming Major League Baseball draft for those that want to track the progress up to when the White Sox selected mid-June the 11th pick overall, and those posts are only going to be for our Patreon supporters. So if you love our stuff, you love the writing, you love the show, and you want more, we're going to provide you guys with a lot more in 2020. So go to patreon.com slash machine to sign up today. And also an added bonus, you get an ad-free version of each podcast with additional content as far as additional P.O. Sox questions answered. And when we have guests on the show you get an opportunity to ask questions to the guest and only our Patreon supporters get those questions answered. So again, that's patreon.com slash socks machine to sign up today. And that will do it for this episode of the socks machine podcast. As we preview the Chicago white Sox starting pitchers for the 2020 season. Again, next week it'll be the Chicago white Sox bullpen as spring training gets into full circle pretty much as everyone would have arrived in Glendale, Arizona. So we shift from the off season to spring training coverage. Very exciting. Baseball is finally here. You can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast in a number of ways. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, audioboom.com slash Sox Machine, Stitcher, and Spotify. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.